You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to Episode 78, Leveraging Dysfunction. Well, today we are talking about how to change our perspective on dysfunction that we have in our homes currently or even as children when we're growing up that usually affects us in negative ways as we get older. Uh, But our guest today, Dr. Ike Miller from Bright City Church, is going to talk with us about how we can actually leverage that to see the good and to have better perspectives and experiences as adults instead. So let's hop into that conversation with Ike. Ike, thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, It's good to have you. I know we've talked for a while off and on about making this happen, so I'm glad uh, we can make it happen. Could you give our watchers and listeners a brief intro about who you are and your ministry? Yeah, Jeff, it's so good that we could finally make this happen. Super excited to be on here and get to have a conversation with you. Uh, Yeah, as you said, my name is Ike Miller. I'm a pastor in North Carolina. My wife, Sharon, and I lead Bright City Church. It is a plant that we launched about four years ago. And so we have gone through the pandemic together. We uh, were about a year and a half old when the pandemic hit. And so, as you can imagine, that was quite anxiety-inducing for a young church. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we, we have made it through, we're on the other side and, uh, I also do some writing. I did a PhD in theology and so I've uh, published a little bit in the area of theology as well. So yeah, that's what I do. Very cool, man. Yeah. We were privileged to have Sharon on as a guest a little while ago Yeah, and, um, yeah, so it's good to have you on here as well. And, uh, the topic we're talking about is definitely uh, a lot different, but it's a good one that you and I kind of worked out based on a book that you're currently writing, which we'll promo mm-hmm. more at the end. Uh, but based on the title, people watching and listening can guess we're talking about dysfunction, but how to leverage mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, when we lead people in our churches, um, everyone's going through difficulty and dysfunction. And it's usually brought up from the approach of, okay, how do you see God working in that and make and to form you and sanctify you to make you better on, on the other side? But I think there's more yeah. to that than, than this, just that perspective. And uh, it affects how we pastor, how we lead, how we preach, and for youth workers, um, yeah. how, we, how we guide our students and their families mm-hmm. through that as well. Um, so I, yeah. you're, you're writing a book, uh, and uh, let's start with how did you arrive at this topic yeah. to write a book about? Yeah, so probably eight or 10 years ago, I came across a book. I don't even remember how I came across it now, but it was called Adult Children of Alcoholics. Okay. And I was like, what is that? I, you know, like, it seems like some, sort of one of those terms that's insider language. What does that mean to be an adult child, first of all, and then, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> of alcoholics? And so, uh, started reading that though, and realized that sometime in the eighties, they started doing these studies of um, kids that grew up in the context of an alcoholic system. Okay. Uh, and, you know, they had had Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time. They had Al-Anon for spouses of alcoholics, uh, but they were starting to do more studying of children who grew up in that context. And so that's what okay. they meant by adult children is 
uh, adults who were children in that context. And as I began to read this book, uh, it kind of goes through what happened to you as a child, what's happening to you now. And it has these 12 characteristics of adult children of alcoholics. And as I read this, I was like, man, this is, this is reading my mail. Like this is to a T describing so many of the things that I just assumed was true for everybody. Okay. (laughs) And so I I kind of come to understand that. And then I kind of put it aside for a while. Didn't really think about it. And uh, when we got into the pandemic, I mentioned just kind of the anxiety that came with being a church plant at that time and wondering, are we going to survive this? Uh, you know, are we going to survive this financially? Are all of our people going to go to some church that has some nice polished produced online service? And we've never done online before. So we're doing this in my living room on Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and then you throw on top of that, uh, the political unrest of 2020, the racial tension, Mm -hmm. uh, the polarization around uh, how you handle COVID as a church. And I just found myself eventually just hitting a wall emotionally and uh, having to take a little bit of time off and really work through where did that come from? And I remember I was uh, during this time off, I was going for a walk and I was listening to this book called Codependent No More. And uh, in the middle of this walk, she said something that just stopped me in my tracks. And she was talking about codependency and explained that basically with codependency, uh, it's sort of this trauma related loss of self. This uh, you've experienced something that has led to you losing your sense of identity of who I am. And when you've experienced that, ultimately what you do then is you look to things outside of yourself to define yourself, uh, to give you a sense of identity. And what that means then is in various contexts, you end up uh, feeling like your your identity, your value depends on what others think of you. Okay. And so here as a pastor, I realized I've become codependent with my whole church. Mm. My whole identity is about what is, how valuable am I to the people that I am ministering to? Yeah. Uh, on top of that, another characteristic of being codependent is you feel this need to manage everyone's emotions and manage mm-hmm. everyone's reactions. You know, when you have an alcoholic parent, so much of what you're doing is managing their reactions to your behavior because really it's a safety mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. How do I keep myself safe? And I realized I was doing that with every person in my church during the pandemic of mm-hmm. how do I manage their feelings about me? How do I manage their reactions to my decisions? And when you carry that kind of responsibility, ultimately it's impossible to do. And so I was really wrestling through kind of all of this, quote, baggage that I was carrying from my childhood and how it was affecting my ministry. And as I did that, though, I began to ask this question of, is it just negative things that shaped me? Are there positive ways that it's actually prepared me for leadership? And as I was beginning to ask that question, that kind of moved more broadly to, you know what, I think there's actually ways that challenges of my childhood actually prepared me for good relationships and for healthy relationships and wanted to kind of dig into that. And and so that's kind of how I came to this uh, book title and topic and started digging into that deeper. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool realization that's <clears throat> starting pre COVID and then in it, you were able to see the dots and how, how they connected and, you know, um, back. So back in, in the pandemic, when I was a youth pastor, 
you know, that, I mean, COVID was hard for everybody, but one thing I kept yeah. affirming to the, to the students, even during the midst of it, is, hey, this, is, this isn't just a phase in your life. This is going to affect you the rest of your life. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like a yeah. baseball hitting a windshield and the cracks and the different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's different than like a ripple effect. It's like, for some, it's going to go this far for this reason. And for some, it's going to go way out here and zigzag and be totally yeah. unstable <laughs> for a long time. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the thing that happened with me during COVID is I decided to launch a podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, I, I started it on April 1st of 2020 because I thought it would be a, a big joke. Um, but I've had a lot of fun with it. But yeah, just being able to talk to people who are in youth ministry, who are leading churches overall. and Almost as many people as I've talked to, I've heard just as many reactions to how mm-hmm. they handled it, but there's some similarities in it. And I think you nailed it on the head when you talked about anxiety and even yeah. even codependency, because I think during COVID, especially church plants and mm-hmm. maybe some churches and groups that weren't as stable in the brick and mortar sense and the long-term yeah. traditional sense, I mean, obviously... It's it's your paycheck and how you provide yeah. for your family, but also it's like, hey, we're just getting this ministry launched off the ground, and now is it going to spiral out of control uh, before it even gets going? And That's there's right. a lot there's a, there's a lot mixed up in that. And when oh, it's man, yeah. you know when when it's you or, or in this case you and you and Sharon leading that, it's um, yeah, there's probably a lot of of anxiety and feelings that were going oh, yeah. on in the Miller yeah. household and. Um, sure. but, uh, I, I think it's, I'm, I'm really grateful and I know you are as well of, um, God being able to reveal just kind of mm-hmm. what you're reading, what you're already feeling, and then being able to yeah. actually put, well, I guess when the rubber meets the road in that sense with the pandemic of being able to see, okay, here's why I'm actually having a hard time. And yeah. it's linked yeah. to a lot more in my life besides, oh no, mm-hmm. pandemic and, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really cool thing to be able to connect. Yeah. I, I often talk about how the pandemic was kind of this vice that pressed all of our pain and trauma to the surface of our lives mm. in a way that kind of forced us to deal with things yeah. or to not deal with them and have catastrophic you know, effects on our lives. But mm-hmm. it really forced things to the surface that either we could distract ourselves from dealing with, with day-to-day life or uh, could find ways of kind of pushing down and not listening to, but being in a pandemic where there is this sense of a loss of control, there is this sense of heightened anxiety, there is fear, there is this uh, anger, honestly, that we were seeing in our culture, especially during that time. Uh, It just allowed all of that and forced all of that to come to the surface and, uh, I think that really is what made that such a challenging season for so many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. So so with difficulties and dysfunction from childhood or or and or current circumstances, let's yeah. start let's start with how to pastor lead and preach about leveraging that reality. So Ike, what do, what do you think are the main points for doing that well in the context of leading our local church? Yeah. So I think really where I've seen that this begins is in the transparency about our own stories Okay, and recognizing we all have stories and different stories and 
and we could compare our pain and compare our experiences and say, well, mine was a lot worse than theirs. But the truth is we all have pain in our lives. We all have some experience of pain. And I think what I've seen, at least in my experience as a pastor, has been there is this pressure on us as pastors to present this image of a perfect life or a really good life. Kind of, yep. with, you know, I want to put on display the good life that Jesus talks about us having, the abundant life. And so having this appearance of, of having it all together and how we want to set that example for our people of, hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. But I think the, the unintended consequence of that is it creates a culture of image management for our people, mm. of a need to come into church appearing as though we already have it together, yeah. which is counter to what the church should be there for in the first place, is a place of healing, of a place of uh, restoration. And so that isolates us as the pastor because we feel like we can't talk about our pain. We can't talk about our past experiences and how those kind of continue to impact our lives. It discourages vulnerability and it undermines the healing work that we want to do as the church. And so uh, more than kind of perfect image is teaching our people how we experience God in the midst of confronting our dysfunction. Mm. Uh, how do we see God show up in the midst of dealing with these things and how God has worked in that versus, yeah, that happened a long time ago, but God has healed all that and it's gone now. Yep. The reason that that is so problematic is that it leaves people feeling like, well, it didn't just get healed for me. It mm. didn't just go away from me. And so is there something wrong with me? Do I not have the faith? And when in reality, what dysfunctional families do, dysfunctional families of origin, is it actually shapes our brain wiring. It, yeah. it shapes the way that we respond to situation mm -hmm. uh, on a very sort of basic level. And so when we are told, you know, in uh, when Paul says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And we think I've tried so hard not to be anxious and I, I've prayed about it. I just need to try harder. Ultimately, what we end up doing is just inducing more shame because we haven't dealt with the fact that the reason we have anxiety when somebody raises our voice or raises their voice at us is because it takes us back to a place of insecurity and fear when a parent, an abusive parent, mm. raised their voice at us. Yeah, And you've got to go back and you've got to work through that. Otherwise, just trying harder is just going to create more shame. Yeah. And so I think being transparent, being vulnerable, uh, makes it clear for the people that are under you that, that God meets us in our real lived lives, not just once we've risen above all of that. Mm -hmm. And so how do we in our transparency tell our people that? So one of the things we try to make clear at Bright City is that Bright City is not about image management. We're not here to give the impression of having it all together because once people feel the need to kind of give this perfect image, it's really hard for them to come back and say, no, actually, there's this really hard thing going on in my life. My marriage is falling apart. I'm having this difficult relationship. It's hard for a, a teenager to come and say, I'm really struggling with you know, pornography or whatever it may be when they've already felt this pressure to put on this image. And so uh, that I think kind of how do we create that atmosphere of this isn't a place where you come perfect. This is a place where you come for healing and yeah. we want to make that possible. Yeah. Oh, I love that, man. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with uh, the youth pastor here at our church about um, sharing stories and how when we share, especially like in the narrative sense, so students can relate um, mm, and, then we, and yeah. then we bring our own experience into that. We have to be careful to make sure the students realize that our experience isn't going to be their experience. Like whether that's yeah. how we interpret 
scripture, uh, what God stirs in us because of our past, um, how we react to things, kind of like you mentioned with reading that book and then COVID and then taking time off and realizing, oh, now I know. You know, uh, when students hear that, when it comes to reading scripture, they might think, well, here's what the pastor said, and so I need to have that. And if I don't, then I'm not reading this right. Or, hey, if I don't have this story of pain that seems to be more yeah. than my own story, then I'm not trusting in, in God enough. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a matter of like being able to be authentic and vulnerable, but yet you it's a, it's almost like um, when we talk with our, our kids ministry during VBS or anything like that, and we're talking about salvation with kids, especially mm-hmm. you always want to do this. Like yeah. you want to, you yeah, want to yeah. make sure they understand what it is and go yep. over that again and again, but also like be able to still invite them. And that's kind of the same approach. I feel like what, what you're, what you're getting at with people in the, in the church body, like when they hear mm-hmm. your story, or especially if you're talking about trauma or abuse mm-hmm. or things that would trigger that, it's almost mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is, this is my story. And this is a truth that I feel that is present in scripture and who God is. But your story, I don't know about it. And that's not something you yeah. really talk about from up front, but like you have that in mind and they hopefully see that you have that in mind as you're talking about it to not put your own story on a pedestal, either consciously yeah. or subconsciously, or like not discounting their own story. Cause like you said, they might realize, Hey, it wasn't until you were talking that I remember when I was 14, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And now I realize mm-hmm. why I'm feeling this way. Like it's a, kind of yeah. a symbiotic thing that's moving away from codependency, but it's, you know, to use a mm-hmm. business term, s- synergizing, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of coming yeah. together. So it's a weird, delicate dance, but like, yeah. but the, but that raw authenticity and like roller coaster is kind of how you build a better relationship anyway. Yeah. You know, one of the, the interesting things, and this is about to get real. I'm going to, so okay, <laughs> all that's right. all right. But yeah, you know, I, I was, I was 35 years old before I really admitted that I had experienced physical abuse as a child. Mm. And I think it's because I had heard these horrendous stories of people being beaten and, yeah. you know, having bruises and having mm-hmm. all of these horrendous things. And I thought, well, what has happened to me isn't, you know, that's significant. I mean, I didn't have to hide marks or anything. And so, you know, so you kind of do discount your own story sometimes if it's not as dramatic as somebody else's. Um, But at the same time, I think what happens, especially for for youth pastors and and working with students who really honestly are context, I mean, they're still being formed by the context of their childhood at that Mm -hmm, point mm -hmm. to share, hey, something that happened to me as a child and this this experience has shaped me i think can free a student to say i thought i was the only one i didn't think i could talk to anybody about you know this relationship or how i'd been treated in this relationship and so it can actually kind of create space for students to bring stories that they didn't think that they could bring otherwise didn't think it was safe didn't think it was acceptable and you know, and I think the other tension with teaching our own stories sometimes or teaching from our own stories is the feeling of like that sense of, man, I am putting my own story on a pedestal. I'm making myself kind of the center of this story. But I think really, and I could be wrong about this, but I think when people listen to me preach, at least, uh, they're bringing 
their own story and trying to connect it to my story. Yeah. They're trying to say, okay, what can I take from his telling of his story to learn about my story? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're doing that connective work for themselves. And so I can tell other people's story, but it's not going to be as authentic as I share my own story. Yeah. And I think people are going to connect more deeply with the pain points in particular when I am able to share authentically from my story. So, yeah, absolutely, man. And yeah. I think, uh, especially in terms of the wider congregation as a pastor, it, it allows you to connect in and, uh, you know, there's always joking and self-deprecation on stage, but also yeah. like to, <laughs> to realize, Hey, even though like, I'm the pastor, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a shepherd pointing to our great shepherd. Yeah. And the things yeah. that you wrestle with are things that I wrestle with. And, you know, God simply has placed me in, th- in this position to, to walk with you and help guide you, but it doesn't yeah. make me better. Um, right. and it, it doesn't make my experiences more vivid or more real than yours. And, um, yep. yeah, it's just a good reminder of like, Hey, we're, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just mm-hmm. a hierarchy type thing. And, uh, it makes yeah. you re relatable. Um, well, yeah. we've talked, um, a little bit about students. So, so we have that, that mm-hmm. wide approach about leading, about what to keep in mind when you're preaching, how to relate, um, for youth, youth workers and, and youth pastors who are watching and listening. Um, yeah. how can they take some of those principles and adapt it more toward, um, youth ministry and being able to help students who are facing their own difficulties and dysfunctions at home. Yeah. I mean, kind of like I said, you know, with youth ministry in particular, these students are still in that context, that dysfunctional context that they're being formed by, or uh, maybe there was a relationship with a step parent of some sort that that relationship is now gone, but they're still being formed by the impact of it. You know, they're still in the context. They're still with the parent who was married to that step parent, you know, or whatever it may be. And so in many ways, what they experienced is still forming them. It, and, and it's very literally still forming their brains, their emotional development. And so the reason that that is all important in that there's a few things. That, but the first thing that I would say is uh, from a theological level, having a more dynamic concept of sin. The reason I say that is because I think a lot of times when we think about sin, we think particularly about disobedient behavior to God uh, or hearts that are inclined away from God. And when we name behavior as sin, um, we add to action that is not always we add guilt to action that is not always the outworking of our of their own disobedient heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so being slow to name behavior as sin, because some behavior may be the outworking of a parent, a sibling, a step-parent's disobedient heart, yeah. not their own disobedient heart. Mm-hmm. Um, another way of saying that is when we think about the fall and we think about the brokenness of creation, sometimes we're broken because of our own sin and our own actions, but we're also sometimes we're broken because of the sin that others have done to us. Mm. And so I think being very careful about what we name as sin or how quickly we move to naming a student's behavior as sinful, yeah. um, because it may not be that they're just, you know, disobedient to God. It may be, man, they are in a painful situation. They don't know what else to do with the pain that they're carrying. Yeah. And so when it quickly gets named as sin, it quickly becomes full of guilt then as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... I think that's always been the case in some respects, but even more so now with the awareness of 
abuse and trauma, but also just the mental state of Gen Z and Gen Gen Alpha. You know, I remember listening to Kara Powell talk about how in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. 18 or 13 to 24 year olds, that depending on the demographics and and the length of time for the survey, um, depression and anxiety tripled or even quadrupled. Mm And yeah. so that that's definitely one of the things I had in mind when I would tell my own students, hey, this is going to affect you the rest of your life. Um, yeah. And especially with the shame culture that I grew up in, probably, and yeah. probably so, sure. so, so did you. And it's yeah. definitely a very much a, here's a list of do's and don'ts. And if you mm-hmm. do one of these, then that's not good. And um, yeah. yeah, so being able to yeah. kind of pause for yourself and make sure that you're listening more than you're preaching or especially doing this you don't want to do that and um you know students are i don't want to say they're 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 fragile i think what it is is it's us and them all being more aware of some unhealthy practices in the past kind of like shame culture Mm -hmm. and purity culture for Mm -hmm. for for us and making sure that the approach we take is no less reminiscent of the truth but it is more caring and it's more of that uh grace and truth that John one talks about from Jesus's standpoint. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's it's kind of a hard tightrope more so with students than it probably is with adults. Yeah. Yeah. A couple other things too, along those lines and and a story that helps illustrate this, but, uh, there's a book called anatomy of the soul, which is written by a psychiatrist named Kurt Thompson. And he's also a a Christian and a follower of Jesus. Um, but one of the things that I would recommend for youth, uh, youth workers, youth pastors is reading a good book on the intersection of brain development and therapy. Uh, and this book anatomy of the soul is a great resource because it also brings in the faith element. Um, but one of the things that he does in there is he tells the story of a, of a father named George who comes to see him in his office and he's coming to see him because his 16 year old daughter had recently been at a party and drinking and had drunk herself to unconsciousness. And so he had to go and pick mm-hmm. her up and bring her home. And he has come to see this therapist because this was the second time that this has now happened. And so he's trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to do about this? What can I do? And so can you help her? And so uh, the daughter, Kristen, comes in, begins meeting with Kurt, Dr. Thompson, regularly and uh, shares that she had originally begun drinking because it helped her to deal with her anxiety. When she was anxious, she could drink. It would calm her down. But it eventually morphed to a point where now it was just used to blunt any negative feelings, mm. any negative emotions she had, any strong feelings, just kind of bring her down from that. And she shared in her counseling that a major driver for her anxiety was actually the pressure that she felt from her dad to perform academically and to perform athletically. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to kind of name some of that. Uh, you know, her dad had put the pressure of, you know, if you don't perform academically, you're not going to get into the school you want to get into. If you don't perform athletically, you're not going to get scholarship. You're not going to be able to go to the school you want to go to. And so she was carrying all of this anxiety. And so Dr. Thompson would regularly meet with her parents to kind of give them updates. And in one of these conversations, he asked George about his own anxiety. What what are you carrying? What are you feeling? What do you find yourself worried about? What do you find yourself overcome with emotion about? And all he could talk about was his daughter's drinking. Mm. 
and his fears about her returning to drinking because she wasn't doing well enough in school and performing athletically enough. And so he could not step away from his daughter long enough to examine his own emotional and internal world to say, wow. how is my own anxiety driving her behavior? And so in that instance, you know, it would be very easy to say, man, she just needs to deal with her sin problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, she yep. just needs to deal with her disobedience to God. When in reality, it's rooted in this bigger picture of dysfunction in her family and his lack of awareness of his own internal world. Mm -hmm. And so a second thing I would say for, for student uh, workers is, you know, show greater concern for their long-term well-being than their short short-term behavior management. Mm, that's a good word. You yeah. know, what's going on deeper down? What's going on in the broader context of their life than just kind of managing their behavior in this moment? Yeah. Uh, so that would be another thing. And then lastly, I would say kind of going along with having a more dynamic concept of sin is having a more dynamic concept of the gospel. Mm. Uh, I think in my context growing up, it was very much this notion of the gospel is about uh, being restored to my relationship with God. And it absolutely is that a hundred percent is that. Uh, but I think what was lost in that was also the way that it restores us to one another and restores us in ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. so the way that we talk about the gospel of bright city is that the gospel is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, restoring us to God and to others and in ourselves Yeah. and how that gives us so much more of a holistic picture of what Christ accomplishes and what that has to do with my real lived life on a daily basis of why I feel so uh, broken in myself, why mm -hmm. I feel so disappointed and frustrated with myself, how I feel like I have no value in myself or why this relationship with a parent or a sibling is so broken and seems impossible to restore. The gospel has something to say about all of those things too. And so how do we bring the gospel into those conversations? Yeah. Oh, I love it, man. Yeah. That it has to be, uh, Vertical and horizontal, you know, uh, yeah. I think Jesus touches on that in the Beatitudes, um, certainly throughout his ministry, you know, even the Ten Commandments are broken up as far as like how you relate to God, how you relate to one another. And so mm -hmm. it's all throughout scripture. So you can't lose that dynamic when you're talking about uh, how do we live like both for e yeah. e eternity, but also just like now and how you represent the church and uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's easy to get caught well, up and, in that in that kind of stuff when when the behavior is like really intense and you're like, well, I have to solve it, but really you're just kind of patching it and not dealing yeah. with long term stuff and how that's get affected. Well, you know, and and even with kind of the vertical and the horizontal, the, there's there is a third dynamic that I think we've left out of the conversation altogether, which is that like inward, the mm. internal, the like, I don't know what, what the other word for it is, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this term, but one of the, uh, so there's a, a diagnosis that, um, um, I can't remember what the old term for it is, but the new term, the language they use is, um, dissociative disorder. Okay. Yeah. I've heard so of it's, it. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it previously was kind of multiple personality disorder, um, but now it's kind of dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. And uh, what what it's kind of emphasizing is the way that we have different parts that are responding to different periods of our life. There are coping mechanisms. There are ways with dealing with different parts of our lives. And on a much smaller level, what they've been talking about is how that's true of all of us. You know, we mm -hmm. talk about, you know, there's a part of me that feels this way. There's a part of me that feels that way. 
And so a lot of our work for healing is actually reintegrating these broken parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. and how Christ wants to come in and be a part of that reintegration process. And so kind of understanding that there's the vertical, there's the horizontal, and then there's the internal, what's going on inside of us that Christ wants to heal. Yeah, that's good. We definitely can't forget about that because many times that's the starting place for how we deal with the vertical and the horizontal is how you deal with the personal to begin with. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, man, this has been fun. I could talk about this for a long time, uh, (laughs) but uh, this has been a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit about your book and when it's coming out. Yeah. So the book is titled Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. Nice. Uh, it is going to ret- uh, release in September of 2023. So we got okay. a little bit of time, but uh, excited to be spreading the word on it and getting it out there and, and all of that. So uh, yeah. So at that point, it'll be re- you know available wherever books are sold for you to pick up a copy. Awesome. Awesome. Where can people keep up with you and connect with you online? Yeah, so I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram, and handle is just at Ike F. Miller. Okay, awesome. Well, Ike, it's been a lot of fun, man. Thank you for coming on with us. And uh, yeah, hope to talk more in the future. And next year, we're going to promote the heck out of your book. That sounds great. I love it. Jeff, thank you so much for having me on, man. It's such such a blast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, man. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Ike for joining us. If you haven't already, Please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There, you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility, and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios.